0: Wow, this is great! Being outside almost makes to makes me want to give you guys a quiz. Uh, we've been walking through Second Corinthians, and we've been looking at different paradoxes. And uh, so this is this is the third time. So who remembers what the first one was? No takers, eh? Comfort, suffering, and comfort. Okay, suffering and comfort. That was the first one. Okay, Uh, you get a treasure. Okay. Um, No, it's just answering the question correctly. Uh, What was the second one? Sorry. Yeah, but there's two. There's there's the negative and the positive, right? What's the paradox? Starts with C. Yeah, or conf- uh, what was it again? Competency and incompetency. We are incompetent. Christ is competent. So today we're going to continue. And I got a, I got a phone call. Oh, yeah, we got to give that. I can't throw that far. Thank you there, Mo, thank you. I don't eat the wrapper. I, I, I don't know if I can, you know, fix you if you eat the wrapper and something goes wonky. Um, so today we're going to uh, we're gonna tackle the third one, which is in, in uh, chapter four. And I already got a phone call from someone that saw the bulletin already, and he phoned me and he says, So I see this title, Your Pot, His Power. Are you referring to something that has a belly button on it? I said, absolutely not, and I'm also not referring to that weed that is now legal. Neither one of those. (laughs) Uh, In fact, I have a pot here, and uh, we're going to do something with it a bit later. Uh, Thank you, Jasia, for reading uh, this text for us. By the way, you have it stapled onto your sheet, and those of you that know me already know that grammar is a really big deal. And uh, it was certainly a big deal for Paul as well. And so he's not rambling. He's structured things to make an argument that's pretty convincing. Okay? Uh, And we're going to look at some of that today. Uh, I've I've mentioned the Corinthians before, and I want to again say that as a group, first century worshipers wanted health and wealth. They wanted protection and sustenance. They certainly didn't want moral transformation. You remember that last verse about being transformed from last week. Religious services, like other social gatherings, were simply there to gain fellowship, especially as they revolved around lavish banquets. Corinth, in their day, was kind of the young and prosperous New York, Los Angeles, or Las Vegas of the ancient world, where social status and location meant everything. In fact, Corinth had become the envy of the empire, a city of pleasure, and that's why when you said that you were Corinthianizing, that meant that you were throwing off all restraint and and living to the hilt. So Corinth was really a tribute to human splendor, uh, and assertiveness and pride were revered and pursued. The Corinthians placed a much higher premium on social prominence and self-display, personal power and boasting, certainly than on humility and service. And as has been repeated, and I'm going to repeat it again this morning, Paul's second letter here to the Corinthian church unlocks one of the greatest secrets of Christian life and ministry. And here it is. God's power is channeled through human weakness. God's power is channeled through human weakness. That seems like a repeat of last week in some ways. God's power is channeled through human weakness. Notice how he starts, if you look at your sheet there, and I've made some of it in red. Uh, I've underlined some and I've made some bold uh, so that you can track with me. He says, therefore, since God's mercy, or through God's mercy, we have this ministry. So he's talking about this in the first six verses. Uh, it's actually kind of the key part of this chapter. These are the bookends, verse 1 and verse 16, where he says, we do not lose heart. He's talked about his suffering. He's talked about his trials. He's talked about his hard times. In fact, he talked about feeling like he was at the verge of death. And yet, here he is. He says, we, have, we do not lose heart. And I think that Paul's positive attitude toward his ministry had some pretty practical consequences in his life. As you'll see in verse 1, it kept him from being a quitter. It kept him, verse 2 to 4, from being a deceiver. And in verse 5 and 6, it kept him from being a self-promoter. He didn't need to do any of those things. Much different than some of the other preachers that were showing up in Corinth. Paul doesn't lose heart, despite the fact that he has experienced rejection, even from the Corinthians, He has experienced or endured suffering, and as we noticed, he had even faced death. Now, it's interesting in chapter two, previously he had focused on his suffering, but now he focuses on his endurance. He focuses on his endurance, and his endurance is firmly attached to the resurrection of Christ and the work of Christ in his life. Now, Let's not forget who Paul was. He was a former persecutor of the church, and yet he owed his ministry to the mercy and grace of God. In fact, Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. Well, if he's the chief of of sinners, then none of us here could actually say that we're worse. The mercy that God had granted to Paul in the past was the foundation for his confidence in the future. I I believe in divine serendipity. It happens to me all the time. And and you might be able to just explain it all away. go ahead. But I had another encounter the other day, and and I had a further encounter with this lady afterwards, and I explained to her, yeah, I believe in divine serendipity, and God orchestrated this. And I find that when I see God working in my life or in my circumstances in the past, it also produces the confidence for going forward in the future and dealing with whatever it is that I'm dealing with in the present. Our ministry is a gift from God, and we are given that gift because of God's mercy. I think Paul, because he encountered God on the road to Damascus and was converted, he was changed, and he realized his own weakness, at the same time he realized that God was working through him. Our passage also refers to Christ, and he talks about Christ as being the representation of God. Christ reveals God to us. Christ is the embodiment of God's own character and the representation of what we know God to be. In fact, Christ is the incarnation of God. And the interesting thing is that now he also expects us to, in a small way, incarnate reflect Christ, represent Christ to those around us. Those of us who by the power of the Holy Spirit see God's glory will inevitably be transformed by it. You can't truly know Christ without following him and being transformed by him. You might know about him, but you can't truly know him if you're not following him and being transformed by him. It's interesting that Paul also talks about preaching Christ But then he also says, and also ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. See, Jesus came to serve, to die on the cross for us, and Paul says, I'm also a servant. I'm also a slave for you. And he sees his service, his attitude of being a slave, as an essential part of his preaching. What he preaches is embodied in his own Christ-like willingness to consider the needs of others above his own. So, just like Jesus was a slave, if you will, or a servant, so Paul considers himself a servant. I know content is important. I know content is important. But manner and demonstration, or incarnation, is also important. And it validates the content. I don't know about the rest of you parents, but I, think it, it, I don't think it worked for me, and it probably doesn't work for you to say to your kids, do as I say, but not as I do. Does that work? I kind of think it doesn't work too well. You you see, content is one thing, but it needs to be followed up with demonstration. It needs to be validated by demonstration. Notice as we go to verse 7, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. And what is the treasure? It is the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. Well, I've got a clay pot here. Uh, This is where I actually legitimately, and those guys that are in the Monday Bible study study group are going to roll their eyes, but I get to legitimately pull out the etymology of a word called sincera. See, now they're all laughing. See, the word sincera in Spanish is the Spanish word for sincere. Sincere. But the background of the word, and of course, it's so close to the Greek and the Latin and everything, is it's two words. It's "seen," meaning without, and sera, which is wax. Now, how does that mean sincere? Well, here's the thing. There were some really famous pottery makers whose wares were, uh, they sold themselves. Such great quality. And, and everybody wanted their pottery. And these other guys came along And they decided they wanted a piece of the market, but their products were inferior. So what they did was they would hide the flaws with wax. And so the first pottery makers would come and start saying that their products were without wax. There's nothing hiding, no flaws, there's no cracks being hidden by wax here. They are sincere, they're transparent, they are sincera. Paul's confidence is based on the reality of God's work in his life and his opponents believe that you shouldn't suffer and yet Paul says that we carry this treasure in a jar of clay, a reference to his weakness and his suffering. It's by God's design in order to make it evident that the power of the gospel does not reside in Paul or in us but it belongs to God. Now, I'm going to I'd like to do a demonstration. I'm going to ask for a volunteer. If nobody volunteers fairly quickly, I'm going to just ask my son, Christopher, to come up and help me. Chris, you may as well come, because nobody's coming. I've got a hammer. That's probably not a good idea, but I've got a hammer. I figure if somebody's going to get hurt, it may as well be you. I'm kidding. I think I'm going to move this over, though. See, this is a really nice pot. But I want you to demonstrate that it's fragile. Uh, can you break uh, you know break break the pot but without wrecking all the treasure inside? Go ahead. Don't lot, eh? I don't ask for a lot. No, go ahead. See, wow, that was that broke easily. That broke easily. Okay, you can sit down now. That was an expensive pot. See, see, the the pot looked nice. And and some of us present fairly well. But but wow, Christopher, did you have to hit it that hard? It it just broke. You see, this is on purpose that God chooses to display his treasure through weak vessels so that there's no confusion about where the power comes from. There's no confusion about Where it came from, the power is from God. You and I cannot claim something for ourselves. The only thing that you and I could probably claim is our willingness to be obedient, humble, and submit to God's will in our life. And that's probably due to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in the first place. The power of the gospel is so great and its glory is so profound that it must be carried in a fragile jar lest people put their trust in Paul or in us. Or in us. I can still remember fairly clearly when uh, the church asked if I would step in as an interim pastor when we moved back from Guadalajara. And, and I couldn't think of a good reason for saying no unless God made it clear that I should say no, and I said yes. And I can remember driving along Giesbred here and coming to the church one day, and I said, God, at what age would I confidently be able to not have to face another learning curve? I'm going to get emotional here. The answer was deafening you know what it was. I didn't hear anything audible. I knew the answer. I needed to ask. The answer is, it's actually not about you. My grace is sufficient for you. Do what I've asked you to do. You, you don't have to. You don't contribute anything other than your obedience. I'll do the heavy lifting. So, if you struggle or if it's difficult, uh, that's okay. Because my work is done best through weakness. It's done best through weakness. This is the paradox. This is the paradox between Paul's own weakness and yours and mine and suffering and the power of God. And the power of God. And we could take this further. You could say, you're sitting here this evening and you could say, well, we're a pretty small church. We're not, you know, like Craig Rushell or Andy Stanley. We don't, you know, have a multi-site with 12 different locations in 13 states. I'm just testing if you're still awake. Uh, We're just a small church in Steinbeck and we're not even the biggest church in Steinbeck. You You could say all of that, but... Remember what I said last Sunday, human efforts, human results. Divine efforts, divine results. It's, it's, it's David and Goliath all over. It's, it, it, it's really not about you and me, or even about the strength of our church. Some see jars of clay in this passage as a metaphor for cheapness contrasting Paul's lack of significance or worth with the surpassing value of the treasure. That's a possible further application. The glorious gospel is borne about by those who are comparatively inferior. The powerful gospel by those who are weak, you and I. It's only in weakness that the power may be from God. And Paul's weakness in some sense actually serves as the grounds for divine power. His weakness ensures that the power is from God and not from Paul. And it's interesting, he follows this up in our text here in uh, verse 8 and on with a number of adversative contrasts, which all modify this jars of clay. He says, In spite of being hard pressed, he's not crushed. He's perplexed, but he's not in despair. He is persecuted but not abandoned. He's struck down, but not destroyed. So he he refers to all of the hardships, but then he still says that he's victorious. And why? Because of the power of Christ in him. He's not done in by his circumstances, whatever they are, by his suffering, by his persecution, precisely because of God's ability or power to sustain him in the midst of that adversity. Now, I, I don't know what everyone's going through. We're probably all going through different things. Uh, We've all got challenges of one kind or another. I would have to say that given Paul's weakness and yours and mine, his and our perseverance can only be attributed to God, only to God. And it's his suffering that provides the platform for the display of God's power. you ever thought about it? That Jesus lived every single day of his life with the ever-increasing shadow of the cross upon his path. Hmm? Let me say that again. Jesus lived every single day of his life with the ever-increasing shadow of the cross upon his path. He didn't just realize, you know, two weeks before he died on the cross that, oh, he was going to die. He knew right out of the gate what he had come for. And that shadow crossed his path during his whole life. I think Paul had a similar attitude as he sought to follow Christ in obedience. He sought to follow in obedience. And he follows up this passage. He talks about death and, and, and life. Um, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. He sees himself as a servant. And he wants to used by God for the Corinthians. Well, he finishes this passage with what I would call a confident hope. He is sure of ultimate victory. He is sure that God will be glorified. He is sure that trials are working for us, not against us, and he's sure that the invisible world is real. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 15, he says, if if." we in this life have only this life to hope for, then of all people, we are most miserable. That's my paraphrase. See, there's there's a life beyond this. Why do we endure? We endure because we will be raised with Jesus. We will be raised with Jesus. The empty grave is a solid foundation for trusting in God's sovereignty, His love, and His power. And if it's the cross that explains why Paul suffers, it's certainly the resurrection of Christ that gives him the confident hope to persevere as he suffers. And secondly, I think that Paul's reason for enduring is because he recognizes that his endurance has an impact on his ministry. We can make a difference. You might think that your suffering doesn't actually help anyone else. But you remember that first paradox, suffering and comfort. We suffer so that we can be comforted, and then we can also comfort the next person because we have been comforted. Paul ends with an eternal perspective. Notice those bookends, Therefore we do not lose heart, verse 1 and verse 16, and right in the middle, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, And then he finishes it with verse 18. So we fix our eyes. This is focus. This is focus. And sometimes in the waves of life, in the white caps of life, you need focus. You you need to bear down and focus. Notice that it's God's power, but that doesn't mean that you and I don't have to do anything. Paul says we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He is being renewed daily because he is... He's wasting away externally, but he's renewed internally because he focuses on Christ. And so he's able to say that these light and momentary troubles achieve a glory that far outweighs them all. That's amazing. He's, he's, he's pulling out the scales, and he's saying these light and momentary troubles... Achieve a weight of glory that far outweighs them all. So, I have some questions for you this evening, and then I'm going to ask uh, Mo and Diane to come up and see if you have some comments or questions uh, that you want to uh, share with the rest of us. How are you feeling? Do you feel that you are struggling? That you are in despair? That you are sinking, drowning? Do you, do you trust that God is in the midst of your battle? Uh, are, are you able to focus on the future? Are you able to hope? Are you able to hope? I think that we have to focus on our eternal hope in order to be able to face the challenges that are before us. Without confidence in our future resurrection and a growing longing for what exaltation with Christ will mean, the call of the gospel loses its transforming power. We have to learn to hope. Are we so earthly minded that we are no heavenly good or vice versa Do we have a this world orientation or are we also focused on God and heaven Are you losing heart are your circumstances your struggles getting you down defeating you do you feel crushed in despair feeling abandoned or destroyed Although you and I are jars of clay, we embody and share an amazing treasure. An amazing treasure. And God is able to work in and through our weakness. In and through our weakness. We've got no excuse. I know there are limits to that. I'm not going to start playing piano. That's, uh, I wouldn't put you through that. Uh, but, but what God calls you to, He can equip you to. So, this week, let's acknowledge and accept both our weakness, kind of like the clay pot that Christopher's going to glue back together for me, if he can find all the pieces. Uh, acknowledge our weakness. Yep, that's right. That's okay. And also God's transforming power. Acknowledge them both, accept them both as realities. And, and then let's go forward in amazement and wonder that God in his sovereign wisdom has chosen to work through us as weak vessels. As we seek to be salt and light and share this amazing treasure that he has entrusted to us. Okay, Diane and uh, Mo, if you guys want to come up and let's see if uh, there are some comments and questions. Maybe we're going to have to throw some treasure. That's chocolate, by the way. Turn something. Okay. <laughs> I would say that when I lose hope, it's because I have taken. I have fixed my eyes on the wrong thing. That my. That I'm not looking where I should be looking. And then I lose hope. And that's... What was the one thing that we pounded away at in our Freedom in Christ class? I am? Secure. And? Uh, Another S. (laughs) Significant. Significant. I'm secure and significant Significant. in Christ. I don't earn it. I don't work for it. I don't deserve it. It's given to me. I'm secure and significant in Christ.
1: Okay, I had I had a thought while um, while Chris was breaking that uh, that jar. Let's see.
0: I'm gonna bring it back
1: and get warranty. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking. Um, I thought about how many times within church, we we at, we put the emphasis on trying to be a really good jar. Mm-hmm. Like we, like the effort is there to become a really good jar. To to look really good,
0: presentation, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Um, what this would indicate to me is that what he's, what God is asking us to do is to just allow ourselves to be filled with Him. And are we seeking Him? Are we, are we seeking to be filled by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, by God the Father more than we are trying to be a, look, a looking good kind of vessel?
0: i got a question to respond to that. Maybe this is too far. I, I was just wondering, what would happen if we dropped the need to keep the front stage looking really good and we're actually able, in the context of a family of faith, to be honest and open and transparent with each other, including our warts and our our mistakes and our whatever. Like, what... Would would God be able to use that more in terms of a family of faith than our, our hard work at making sure that we've got our lipstick on right?
1: I usually don't wear lipstick, but... Um yeah me neither i I, I know what you 're saying i
0: i 'm asking if we can be vulnerable
1: well i I think that that is all of our all of us have a desire for the people around us to be vulnerable
0: mm-hmm.
1: right We would love nothing more than for someone else to be able to come to us and be vulnerable, and we would think that they, that we act like that they they actually had faith in us to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. The problem isn't with other people. The problem is with us. Yeah. Like, I have to choose to be vulnerable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's, that's a decision that we have to make that is uncomfortable, and we also have to know how to be appropriately vulnerable. Right. Because just uh, walking around and throwing, throwing the jar everywhere so <laughs> that it just breaks everywhere isn't necessarily the, the response either. Okay. Anybody else? Anyone have a comment or a question? or need to start picking on people, you know.
0: I know. I, I like. If you're if you're in college, you know that you don't make eye contact with a teacher. <laughs> Look down. That's yeah. the sunglasses, eh, guys? <laughs> Yeah, and I, I realize that transparency—that uh, uh, there, there's also a, a, a level of responsibility when you share with me that I don't take an ad out in the newspaper and that I that I that I guard what you share. There, There's—we have to also be the kind of people that others can share with us, and and they know
1: that um, that we'll keep that. And. Uh, I... I'm not sure where I. Oh, I I read it to this week. Is that my cracked jar? And if we, if instead of treasure, it's water, right? My cracked jar allows many people to be watered, <laughs> yep. right? Because the water is just spilling out through through the cracks in my jar, and and as long as I'm continuing to allow Christ to be filled you know, to to fill me up. Um, There's water that's dispersed all over the place. Yeah. Through my my, uh, flaws. You're
0: you're meant to be a conduit, not
1: a reservoir. (laughs) There you go.